So when I was 15 years old, my buddy Alex and I decided that we were gonna go to an Indian reservation so that we could buy the good fireworks. We didn't have cars at the time, so we needed to take the bus. The reservation was about 40 minutes outside of the suburb where we lived, so we got on the bus and we settled in for the ride. We started looking out the window of the bus and we noticed that things weren't looking more rural like they were supposed to. They started to look more and more like the city of Seattle. We saw freeway overpasses, there was more traffic. We looked out a little bit later and we saw the Space Needle and we realized, oh man, we're on the wrong bus and we are going in the completely wrong direction. We thought it might be a loop, so we stayed on the bus, hoping it would loop around and get us to where we needed to go. But we got to the end of the bus line and the driver turned around and said, you guys gotta get off. And we said, oh man, this bus was not going to take us where we needed to go. Well, as we look at Romans chapter five today, we're gonna hear Paul describe two different bus rides, the way of Adam and the way of Christ. The path of Adam leads to sin and death, but the path of Christ leads to life and salvation and peace. Paul essentially calls Christians to ask themselves, which bus am I riding on? Am I on the bus that leads to life? Uh, life is over here. Or am I on the, on the bus that leads to death? And since we've been studying Romans in reverse, we already know the church that Paul is writing to pretty well. We've learned about their issues in chapters 13, 14, and 15. We heard Paul's arguments against their attitudes that caused division in the church in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and then recently in chapters 1 through 4, now we come to Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. This is a beautiful section of Romans. It's all about Christ, but it's also about unifying the church. Romans 5 through 8 is a section that's just as practical as chapters 12 and 13. It's just as aimed at the church as chapters 14, 15, and 16, and it's just as Christ-focused as the rest of the letter. It's Paul's big appeal for the church to remain unified as a church under the banner of Christ. Listen to a big chunk of uh, Romans chapter five now. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam, is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift led to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, 
Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 12, it seems like Paul is going to say that just as sin and death entered the world through one man, resulting in sin and death for everyone, so grace and peace entered the world through one man, Jesus Christ, resulting in life for everyone. But he doesn't quite get through his thought. He interrupts himself to say two things first. One, he says that sin and disobedience were in the world even before the law of Moses. Before there were 10 commandments, there was a desire among people to break all 10 commandments and more. And the second thing he wants to say is that though there are similar, those are similarities in the path of Adam and the path of Jesus, that is, you know, the action of one person leads to results for everyone, you can't really even compare the two. The result of Jesus' righteous, faithful action is so much more potent and impactful and positive than Adam's thing. It's like Paul can't help but stop himself just to marvel at the bigness of this gift of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's like Jesus' parable about the treasure that's hidden in the field. If you find it, you realize that it's more valuable than anything else in your life. And Paul hopes that all people will find this treasure in Christ. You know, there's this recurring thing that I've seen in churches that I've been a part of throughout my life. Every once in a while, on a Sunday morning, a stranger will show up to the church, first-time visitor, doesn't know anybody, Usually they don't have a, uh, a background in church. They don't know God. They don't know the Bible or any of those things. But you come to find out that this person is there because they've done something wrong and they feel extremely guilty about it. They just have this real, real sense that something that they've done in their life has damaged not just the relationships in their lives, but their relationship with the universe somehow. They found themselves on the wrong bus heading in the wrong direction, that is leading them to spiritual death. Life itself is somehow broken, and they're asking the question, is there anything that I can do? And they come to the right place if they wander in, into a church building, because then they hear the good news about Jesus, and they become overjoyed. There's, there's this other bus that you can get on, and it'll get you where you need to be. You're not defined by your most recent failures. There's a God who knows you, and he loves you. And even if you've burned every other bridge with every other person in your life, God is still with you, and you can have peace and reconciliation with this God. Listen to how Paul describes this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Yay! Christ loves us! He chose us! We're his children! He's freely given us grace! This is good news for any of Adam's descendants, whether we've messed up big or small. This is something that's worth celebrating! <laughs> All right! Yeah! Woo! Best news! Yay! Well, Roman tribe! Hey! That feeling can kind of wear off, though. The fresh good news, which is always worth celebrating, can start to feel old, like old news. Like, yeah, I already know that. We start to get comfortable with it. And as loud as our celebrations can be, they kind of get drowned out by the other noises in our lives. Life struggles and burdens, concerns, monotonies, conflicts. The good news is still true. It's still there, but it kind of gets pushed aside for other things that, that jump in front of our face, become more urgent. And the celebration dies down, and we start to wonder, what happened to the fireworks? That's kind of what seems to have happened with the church in Rome. At one time, they were, they were united in their celebration of this new life in Christ, but it doesn't really look like that unity is there anymore. All the divisions that we've heard about, all their infighting, both sides being prideful about being one way, I'm glad I'm not like those guys. Maybe there need to be pointed out, and this is maybe what Paul is doing for them. This isn't how it's supposed to be. How did we get here? How did we end up on the wrong bus and going in the wrong direction? I know this is how some people feel about their experience with the shelter in place. Some people are disappointed because uh, it was supposed to do something. There was supposed to be an upside to this experience, but they're still waiting to experience that. Some people are thinking, I don't have a commute anymore. My calendar is super free. I was supposed to have more time for family and for projects, for rest, but I feel more stressed and busier than ever before. It seems like I just traded one set of problems for another. Or maybe I'm not doing this right. Well, sometimes Christians assume that we're on the right bus, we're on our way to get those fireworks, then we look out the window and we see the space needle and we realize that something is wrong. But remember, Paul is writing to already Christians in Rome. This isn't the first time that they're hearing this gospel message. But you might wonder then, well, why does this sound like an introduction to Christianity, like the basics of the faith? Paul is reminding them about something that they drifted away from about something that was a source of joy and of harmony for them. He's saying, remember when you first heard that gospel message? You first heard that you could be reconciled to God? Remember how great that news was? Do you remember how great that news is? We need to be reminded of that ourselves. So I want to take just a couple minutes here right now and remind ourselves of some of the promises that Jesus has made for us that are just as true now as when he spoke them generations ago. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Did you notice in that last passage, Jesus makes this comparison, look how well God the Father takes care of the flowers and the birds and the air. Well, how much more is he going to take care of you? That phrase, how much more, it's something that Paul uses a couple times in Romans chapter 5. It's this classic Jewish persuasive method of saying, like, if this is good, how much more is this going to be for you because of how much God loves you? Paul says in verse 10, for if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more... Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And then he does the same thing again in verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who, receives, who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What's Paul's point? What's Jesus' point? It's simple. You are important to God. God is faithful in keeping you and you can trust and you can hope in this good news of salvation and reconcil reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Once you remember and understand how loved you are and how faithful God is, you can even rejoice in times of suffering. This is something that you see a lot with the early church. You see a lot of rejoicing and suffering in the book of Acts, but this may be the hardest thing for the modern church to embrace. You know, I think, rejoice in suffering. Like, why would I do that? How would I even begin to do that? What? What are you talking about? Well, Paul says here, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. I think we can only rejoice in our sufferings when our hope is properly placed not putting our hope in our own circumstances, our own abilities, but in Jesus and what he's already done for us. I've mentioned before that uh, Justin and I go into the schools every fall here in Livermore and we do talks about suicide prevention. Our talks are a way of equipping students to know what to say and how to respond when this very critical subject comes up with one of their friends. And we always tell the students that the first person who's going to hear about what someone is going through in their life when they're in a time of crisis, it's not going to be the school. It's not going to be the principal's office or the school counselor. It's going to be you. 
It's going to be their friends, other students, the people that they're closest to. Well, in the same way, with as many people as I've seen walk into a church building for the first time because of some crisis that's going on in their life, it's more likely that these people are going to come to you first. And as a follower of Jesus, and as someone who's received the news that though the path of Adam leads to death and the path of Jesus leads to life, what are you going to say to them? It's something to consider. Now, there's lots of things that you probably shouldn't say to them. Someone comes to you and their, their life is in shambles and they, they need encouragement. It's not good to say, oh, that's horrible. No wonder you're so desperate. Don't say that. Also, don't go into fix-it mode, like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to solve all these problems for you. You're going to do this, then you got to do this, you're going to take care of this, and I'll help you. And There may be a time for that, but what I would recommend doing is telling them the things that we've reminded ourselves of this morning. You can tell them about the Lord who walks with them through hard times, who promises never to leave us or forsake us. You can tell them about God's love for all of his children, and you can tell them about the hope that we have in Christ. Maybe you're hearing this message today and you're tired. Maybe you don't feel like you're on the right bus. I want to encourage you to listen to this message of restoration and reconciliation. Maybe you're someone who's hearing this message and you feel like one of those people who've been through a lot recently and you need to know whether or not there's escape, there's relief, if there's a way to, to get away from guilt or shame or whatever it is that's going on in your life. Well, I hope you hear the good news that Jesus died for all sinners, and he invites us to walk in his footsteps. He'll lead. All we have to do is trust him. We just need to receive this good news, the good news that Jesus truly is Lord of all, and he can be the Lord of your life. Next week, we're going to look at chapters six and seven. We're going to hear Paul talk more about what it looks like to live this new life in Christ, what it means to serve a master who is much kinder and gentler than being under the thumb of sin and death. And so I encourage you, read ahead. It's good news. It's something that'll make you celebrate. But for today, the invitation stands. And I invite you to respond to if something was stirred in your heart because of this message from God's word. If you need rest from your burdens and struggles, I encourage you to find it in Jesus. And if you want, you can send a text to me or one of the other Tri-Valley leaders letting them know that you need encouragement, just telling them what's been going on in your life. And we're happy to share with you the hope that we have in Christ and tell you more about what it means to follow him. We'll walk with you. We'll, we'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. We'll journey with you as we follow Jesus together. Or maybe you're someone who's been walking with Jesus for a while, but the joy of that good news has faded somewhat. I encourage you, spend some time in Romans 5. Rediscover that joy this week. Take a look ahead at Romans 6. It's, it's worth celebrating as well. And then send me a text or email me and let me encourage you and I'll pray for you. We'll read these passages together. We can discuss them. We can talk about them. We can find ways that they apply in your life. And that's what the church is for, to lift each other up, to, to hold each other accountable. But whatever it is, if you feel the need to respond some way to this message this morning, I encourage you to do that now as we listen to this final song. It's a song of hope and encouragement.
Come lay 